Today's episode of Clip City is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Welcome to another episode of the Clip City Podcast. I am your host, Jovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. And today I am joined by my producer, Mike Smeltz. Mike, how you doing? Jovan, I always say this. It is an honor. I mean, last week you had on Paul Shear, and now I'm the follow-up back to Paul Shear. It could not be a bigger honor in my life <laughs> than be following Paul Shear in this. So what a pleasure. Thank you for having me, sir. <laughs> Thank you for, for coming on. So <laughs> how, how are you holding up with everything going on? Dude, uh, obviously perspective, right? You know, like there's a lot of people who are going through a lot of tough stuff, but I will be honest. So I live... I recently moved from New York City down to DC and currently into that transition, we're living with my wife's parents and my wife's sister in the same house. And it is wow. <laughs> not the way to go through a quarantine. <laughs> it's madness over here, but uh, everything's going okay. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm solid. I'm solid. You know, it's it's been, it's funny because I'm, I'm kind of a homebody. So like, from the perspective of like my day-to-day life, it hasn't changed much. Like I, I've been trying to, go for a walk every day and and kind of just stay sane by like getting some time outside. Um, but I, I can't tell you, I, I haven't gone days without going outside before and, and just kind of staying in my house. So that's not necessarily uh, uncommon for me, but it, it is like weird when you're kind of mandated to do it. It, it does feel a little bit different. Um, but Everyone that I know, you know, f- family and friends is healthy and, and safe. Um, so that's kind of the most important thing. I'm, I'm feeling fine. I'm getting a little stir crazy, but and I miss basketball. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where, like, I never took basketball for granted. I always appreciated it. But once you don't have it and, you know, it's not because it's mid-July and, the season's over and, and summer league just ended. It's just gone, you know, postponed for the foreseeable future. Like it, it is kind of sad. And, you know, it, it is something that has been a big part of my life the last 19 years and uh, not having it at a time, you know, normally we'd be gearing up for the playoffs. The Clippers would have eight more games left in the regular season right now. Um, we'd probably be talking about them as the two seed. Like it, it would be an exciting time. And instead, not only do we not have that, but we're going through, obviously, this incredibly scary time with with the pandemic and um, just all the uncertainty and there's no timeline for any of this. So we have no idea when the real world will resume or or when basketball will resume. And um, I I know there's bigger things at at hand and and at stake here, but obviously this is a basketball podcast, this is a Clippers podcast. Um, we, We get paid to talk about this. So it's weird. It's been weird. Um, you know, now it's been about three weeks uh, in quarantine. So uh, that's just been, it's starting to kind of 
actually like wear off and become a real thing where it's like, this is really how things are going to be for the next, you know, two months, three months, four, who, who knows? Have you been watching old basketball? Like, so on the, I do our Brooklyn Nets podcast, the glue guys. And if there, obviously if there's any people out there that are both Nets fans and Clippers fans, <laughs> I guess, listen, but <laughs> what a strange person you are. And I want to meet you, but, um, I've been watching, so like I rewatched, you know, some of the when the Nets were in the finals those two straight years. And like it is this interesting moment when we're able to dive back into the time machine a little bit and s- watch old basketball. I mean, I mean, not even that old. I mean, you could have been watching games this year. Is there anything that you've been diving back into that kind of has caught your eye over this time the NBA has been pushing out there? So I- I'm actually doing a, this is one of the nerdiest things I've ever done, but I'm doing a like all time historic fantasy draft um nice. with some I, I don't know if you guys know who josh lloyd is uh but he he does the locked on fantasy podcast and he's a, a writer and an analyst for basketball monster so he kind of put together this group of us there, there's 12 of us and we're doing this i'm kind of i mean it's not public knowledge yet so i'm kind of breaking the news here but um we, we are doing this draft from like the 85 86 season on um, so I, I, you know, you're getting guys in, in like their three year peaks and it has to be, you know, any season from 1985, 86, uh, to, to, to now. So that's actually been taking up a, a lot of my time. Cause it's, it's already been like a week and we're not even done yet. I think we're in like the 12th round right now. We're doing 15 rounds. So that, that's been fun. And that's been cool to kind of like dive back into, um, prior seasons and, and seeing looking up different guys stats and and random guys you wouldn't think of who are really good in fantasy uh that you know you probably were better in fantasy than um they are in real life or, or were considered and just kind of diving back into some of that stuff I, i've also been trying to piece together a uh story on clipper games to go back and rewatch. um so some of those elton brand Sam Cassell, Katino Mobley teams from the mid 2000s, specifically that 2005, 2006 season. Um, some of the games from the last couple of years, including that game two, uh, you know, comeback against the Warriors. Uh, some of the games from this season, you know, Lakers Clippers and Kawhi and PG making their debut and different stuff like that. Um, it's actually been hard and I have not been able to find f- that many full games for the Clippers. And every time I search for the Clippers, it gives me other teams full games. <laughs> so uh, I don't know who who we got to get on that to be uploading old Clipper games. But, um, it, you know, there's a lot of Spurs, a lot of Suns, a lot of Mavericks, uh, you know, Lakers, Warriors, of course, like Rockets, a, a lot of those teams, but not as much the, the Clippers. So I have not really been able to get as much as I wanted to on that front. Uh, but I do plan on going back and rewatching some of the games from that 2006 series. Maybe I'll write, who knows, maybe I'll, I'll write like a, a kind of recap or review of that series, um, which was, I guess, tied for the, the closest the Clippers have ever gone um, in, in the playoffs. So, yeah, uh, I, I haven't really gone back too much into the season. I did for that Clippers Mavericks, um, you know, re- review or a kind of preview. Um, and I, I probably I'm starting to do different things, kind of moving things forward of 
grades and and reviewing random statistical stuff with, with guys. So that stuff I'll, I'll dig back into the film a bit. But um, I have been trying to kind of um, you know enjoy myself a, a little bit, take a little bit of a break, uh, work on some kind of self development stuff, um, and and getting better at different things, kind of random stuff. So uh, that's where some of my attention has been but yeah this week is kind of what i'm digging back into a lot of the the film stuff i mean it's just been so interesting to me to look back i mean i don't know what it is about this moment i guess it's just because like you feel like basketball would have been here right it's not like the off season when basketball goes away and you're like okay maybe now is not the time to watch games so because we've had it ripped away from us that we kind of want to dive back in but i mean really watching any game from like i don't know pre 2011 i guess or whatever series every game looks so ridiculous to me now in terms of no three-point shots you know everyone's in the paint everyone's playing like there's not even that they're playing defense harder it's just that like defense was much more of a focus than it is now um it's been a complete joy i mean i i would wonder i mean you're going to talk about this at some point but like what is the most rewatchable Clippers team of all time like is it just Lob City is Lob City like the the pinnacle of Clippers basketball in terms of stylistically or maybe if I watch Lob City now I'd be like that actually wasn't as appealing as I remember it I don't know I mean I just remember at the time it was such like a lightning bolt yeah I want to say those first couple years of Lob City in, in the regular season especially um because when it went to the playoffs, you know, you had that war with, with Memphis in the first round, which they won in seven. And then they got their asses kicked by San Antonio. San Antonio swept them in the second round. And then the next year, they had a 2-0 lead on Memphis and, and uh, ended up losing the next four. Blake also sprained his ankle. So the, the first two trips to the playoffs with, with that team were, were not pretty. But during the regular season, you know, they had – those games where they just dominated the Lakers and, and beat them by 40 plus points multiple times. Um, you had that one game where Blake Griffin dunked on Pau Gasol like three mm-hmm. times. Um, and, and just young. I mean, I, th- I think it was really young Blake and kind of combining that with DeAndre kind of starting to figure himself out. Uh, you had Chris, obviously, who was at the peak of his powers. And I think people really don't remember how good Chris Paul was. Um, you know, I, I know he's kind of revered as, you know, he, he's an all-star and a future Hall of Famer, but like this guy to me is a top 25 guy of all time. And if you really look at his numbers, there are maybe two or three guys you can put ahead of him at the point guard position. And that could even be stretched. Like he, I, I think to me, he's going to go down as clearly a top five point guard, but, but if not like a top, you know, potentially top three point guard. So, um, I think just seeing Chris and figuring out the Chris and Blake dynamic and all that, th- those first couple of years were really fun. Um, now adding JJ Redick, I think uh, offered a different wrinkle into the offense and, you know, those first couple of years under doc and with JJ, those were, you know, some of the best offenses in the league. So from that perspective, I, I would, I guess I would say probably the 2014 or 2015 Clippers, one of those two teams was probably the most watchable because you, you also had Blake expanding his game, becoming more of a point forward, um, leading stuff in transition. And, um, you know, his, his assists per game were, were rising in that like four or five range. So 
I'd probably say one of those two teams off the top of my head, but I, I would have to go back and watch. That, tw- that 2006 team has a special place in a lot of Clipper fans' hearts. Everyone loved Elton Brand, you know, Corey Maggette, of course, mm-hmm. um, Sam Cassell, Katino Mobley, Sean, you know, young Sean Livingston, uh, Chris Kane. Like, th- that was a very fun, likable, you know, rootable team. I don't even know if rootable is a word. I might've just made that up, but um, easy to root for team. You know, like it, it was just, it, it was a fun. And honestly, this, this team for as much frustration as, as fans have had at times on social media um, in the little Clippers Twitter bubble, like this has been a really fun team at, at their peak. And, and you saw that with, with the recent wins against Denver and Houston, like when this team is rolling, they're incredible to watch and, and Kawhi doing his thing, PG doing his thing. And, Lou and Trez, you know, pick and roll off the bench and, um, you know, guys like Landry um, and and Marcus Morris and Reggie. Like, th- this is a fun team. So uh, I would say this team, if they were able to complete the season, might end up being number one. But um, at this point, who knows, right? Like, we, we don't know. Yeah, I, and I think that's what's been so, from Clippers fans' perspective, is this team was rounding into such a fine form and then the whole COVID-19 suspension of play hits. And, you know, like the the disjointed nature of the team throughout the entirety of the season, it, there was still the light at the end of the tunnel that when everyone was healthy and everyone was together and Kawhi wasn't doing injury management when he would be playing, you know, every game of a playoff or every game down the stretch leading into the playoffs, that we we're going to see peak Clipper or peak Clippers, what, what this team ideally could be and now that's just been i mean it's been put on hold at the very least and even when it restarts you know it's kind of like what i've been thinking about is like we keep hoping the league restarts of course we hope the league restarts there's no question but almost no matter what i'm it's gonna it's gonna be a totally different feel from what the playoffs would have been even if we start them off in like mid-june or hope you know july or whatever it would be it's still going to feel different. And particularly for this team, you know, they were hitting such a good stride and now it, every, just everything's frozen and we don't know like what, what it's going to look like coming out of it. You know, it, you can look at advantages of disadvantages about this all, but no matter what, it's just going to be different. Yeah. And I, I think like, I want to be careful with how I, I phrase this. Like there was never a great time for this to happen. And, and of course, whoever was playing the best was going to probably be most affected just in terms of like momentum and, and all that stuff. But the Clippers were playing the best. You know, the, the Clippers were seven and one over their, their previous eight games before this postponement. They had the best net rating by a mile at plus 14, which, you know, if that held up over the course of a full season would be the greatest net rating of all time. Of course, eight game sample, you know, small sample size. But, you know, the, the number two team in net rating was the Lakers at plus seven. So they were double the the you know next best team over that stretch and really were playing close to perfect basketball. And I think this is a good segue into what we wanted to talk about today, which was some of the storylines and, and the games and some of these unanswered questions we might have now with this Clipper season. And I think first and foremost, above all else, is this kind of storyline of like this team was finally hitting its stride. We had been waiting for this all season to see this team consistently. And I think the Clippers got some flack that they didn't deserve. Uh, you know, like 
yes, there were a, a bunch. I mean, really, well, I don't think it was really their fault. Like the, there were a lot of injuries. This has been one of the most injured teams in the league. And if you look at most of the other teams alongside them, it's teams like the Warriors, the Detroit Pistons, like some of the worst teams in the league have dealt with the most injuries. Um, you know, a, a couple of the, the better teams like Toronto and, and Boston have also had their fair share of injuries. But the, the Clippers having so many missed games to so many key players, including, you know, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Patrick Beverly, like those are probably their three most important players. Kawhi and PG obviously are the top two, but you can kind of quibble with the third. Pat's definitely in consideration for, for third most important Um just be, for his ability to play point guard, his ability, his defensive ability, his shooting, um, just the, the toughness he brings, the energy he brings. And those three guys have all missed, you know, 15 plus games. And having, you know, those three guys miss so much time, I think has really affected this team. And then on top of that, you've also had guys like Landry Shamit and Jermichael Green, two other key role players, also miss, you know, f- you know 10, 15 games. So I, I think overall, much of the Clippers' struggle has come from the the injuries, and you know the, the team has admitted at times that there's been this kind of identity issue of last season's identity with this season's identity. Of course, Sam and I wrote the the, the story on, on some of the chemistry issues that have been going on behind the scenes in, in January, um, and you you know outside of that, like I I just think there, there was you know new team new infrastructure, new, new superstars, like all that stuff takes some adjustment. So I think that was kind of built in where even if they were healthy, there was going to be an adjustment period. Then you factor in some of the other stuff and, and the injuries. And it makes sense why this team, you know, doesn't have a, a Lakers or Bucks level record or, or point differential. Now, that being said, they're still number two in the West. Um, you, you know, in, in terms of point differential, they're right there as, you know, a top four, top five team. So despite all of that, this team has still been so good. And, and you really saw that over those last eight games where, you know, they, they blew the Nuggets out at home. They, they blew the Rockets out in Houston. Um, they had a nice, you know, 15 point win over OKC in OKC. Um, and I just felt they were finally putting it all together. This was the version of the Clippers we had wanted to see. They, they were going 10 deep. Everybody was healthy. Kawhi and PG were posting a plus 18.1 net rating together, which is just absurd. And if they're posting that net rating in the playoffs together, this team's basically unbeatable because um, they're going to be sharing the floor so much. So it's like those two are finally clicking on a level we hadn't seen. Uh, the, the bench kind of had this new identity with Reggie Jackson and, and pushing the pace and, and him helping Lou as a ball handler and distributor. Uh, he, he was shooting at an unsustainable level, but he was being a plus offensive player. You had Jermichael Green, who, who was starting to look more like Jermichael Green of, of last season. Lou and Trez were still doing their, you know, the, their pick and roll dance and, and both scoring at a high level. Landry was the one guy who was kind of struggling a bit, and he did not really uh, adjust, you know, adjust well to that kind of new bench role and, and being the fourth or fifth option at times on that second unit. But aside from him, everyone else was you know playing pretty well. Marcus Morris had kind of adjusted into a more three and D role with the starters. And I just felt overall, this was what we'd been waiting for. And we we're finally seeing it. it. It looked as good as advertised. It, it took one of their five worst, you know, shooting performances of, of the season um, to, to lose to the Lakers. And even in that they, they had a chance up until the last few minutes of the game. So 
I just really felt this was, you know, the, the Clippers at their apex. And if you looked at their next 10 games, these were all very winnable games. So here are the games they missed in, in March for, for the rest of the month. Um, you know, home Brooklyn, home New Orleans, home Dallas, at Denver, home Phoenix, uh, at New York, at Brooklyn, at Detroit, at Charlotte, home Indiana. Uh, I really think with the way they were playing, they could have easily gone eight and two or nine and one during that stretch. You know, Dallas and Denver would have been nice tests as potential playoff opponents. Um, you know, New Orleans was playing better. You had Indiana, who was a quality team, but outside of that, like games against you know Detroit and Charlotte, those they should win those games. You know, Phoenix, New York, uh, you know, twice against Brooklyn, they should win at least one, if not two, of those games. So, like, I just felt they were gearing up for the stretch where they were going to win, like. 16 of 18 or 15 of 18 and just put together this monster run really solidify themselves as the two seed and we were kind of robbed of that and, and you know i think momentum is this precious thing that yes they're, they're good enough to to kind of pick up where they left off but i do think there is something to chemistry and, and a rhythm and, and just kind of being in it and there's no guarantee they pick that up um whenever the season continues if it even continues uh, so if they do have, you know, four, five, six regular season games, there's no guarantee. I mean, we don't know who they're going to play. We don't know, you know, home and road splits, however they decide that. Uh, but I just think for the Clippers, especially more so than any other team, really, uh, it's unfortunate that one, the postponement occurred. Yeah. And it's like, OK, so we have no clue what basketball is going to look like when we get out of this, even if basketball does come back. Right. So. But to me, I think at the very basic level, if there is any games before the playoffs were to begin, no matter like they're not just going to pick up the schedule from where it left off and try to finish all these games. At this point, we know that. Right. You would say, I think that's. Yeah. yeah no, no, no. no. I, 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 yeah. Of yeah. Course, yeah. So I think then no matter what, let's say they say, OK, we're going to do like two weeks of warm up games where each team would play four times over two weeks. And then we're going into whatever playoff system they want to do, whether it's a single elimination, all league tournament, if it's uh, doing a three game series and then going to a five game series and then seven and seven, you know, kind of building it up bigger and bigger as we go along into a regular playoff structure. No matter what, you're not going to get a an exact um, runway into the playoffs like those four preseason games, whatever they would look like going into the playoffs teams aren't going to like Kawhi's not playing 35 minutes he's not playing 35 minutes with Paul George you know like there's going to be such a disjointed nature so no matter what going into the playoffs there's going to be a disjointed now what I'll say for the Clippers is you know and you've written about this about the team overall this season and how one night Paul George is in the lineup and Kawhi's not another night Kawhi's in the lineup Paul George is and then another night no one's basically in the lineup and they're sending out a team that you know, wouldn't be representative in the playoffs. The Clippers are kind of uniquely suited to an unbalanced, awkward playoff system because throughout the whole season, they've been having to deal with uh, injuries, with guys being in and out of the lineup. We're like Milwaukee. Milwaukee has had tremendous health and they've been able to control the season as they have all along. The Lakers have had pretty good health all along. You know, like, so, you know, I'm not trying to say there's an advantage or a disadvantage with how the season has gone before, but I will say that 
this season, how disjointed it has been for the Clippers and yet how successful they really have been, even though it hasn't really matched up from what we've seen visually at times, you know, the Clippers are used to dealing with adversity where I don't think some of the other teams are used to dealing with adversity. It may not end up meaning anything because there may be enough of a runway into the final four of teams or the final eight, the elite eight of, of teams or so. So it may not matter as much, but I do think there's like, there's something about this Clippers team that maybe is a little bit more uniquely suited because they never had like perfect chemistry. So I don't think anyone will have perfect chemistry coming out of this. I just don't think, I don't think it's possible. It's just not a situation that could even happen after this crazy situation. That That's actually a really good point. And I think that that is the optimistic way to, to, to view it. Like if you, if you take the pessimistic view, it is like crap. This team was playing so well. And they could have rolled into the playoffs with all this momentum, you know, finished the season strong and, and had, you know, whatever type of stretch they would have finished with. But really, you know, with 18 games remaining at the time uh, of the postponement could have gone on this like, you know, 25, 26 game stretch of maybe going something crazy like 21 and four, 22 and three, a, a really, you know, excellent stretch that you kind of see traditionally from, uh, championship teams right like most championship teams if you kind of go back like they'll have the 10 12 game winning streak or they'll have the 18 and and two kind of streak during the season clippers really hadn't had that they they had a seven game uh win streak back in november and that win streak actually aged pretty well because at the time they beat some teams that we weren't taking seriously but those teams included okc dallas and memphis who I think for most people, you know, OKC and Memphis was projected to be the worst team in the West, which, you know, they obviously over exceeded expectations. Uh, but OKC was not really taken seriously by many people. And Dallas was kind of like a fringe playoff contender. I had them in the playoffs, but a lot of people didn't. And I, I think, you know, winning those three games wasn't necessarily impressive at the time. But looking at it now, uh, I think that that win streak was impressive. But outside of that, it's been a lot of like, four and two and, and, you know, three and three and, you know, maybe a five and one stretch here and there, but like the the Clippers have kind of been a stop and start team for the most part, you know, with a lot of two or three game winning streaks versus six, seven, eight, you know, nine, 10, whatever. So I I think it, you know, from that perspective, it is frustrating, but on, on the other perspective, I think if you look at it from an optimistic point of view, like you said, this team has had as much adversity as any really top level team this season. Um, And I think, you know, uh, the other thing is that a lot of times when you don't have the ability to practice a lot, to to be together, to have that chemistry, it kind of comes down to talent sometimes. And and that's almost like the, the, the determining factor. And I think if you're talking about talent, the Clippers have as much talent as anybody. So if everyone's kind of coming back, has like a one week preseason and, and maybe a few games to kind of try to get back on the same page, like that actually might favor the Clippers because they've already kind of had to deal with that all season, like you said, but also because they have more talent than anyone. So if everyone's kind of back to square one, I think that's where talent, you know, favor is more important than maybe chemistry um, or kind of momentum because those things kind of need some time to, to, to kind of fester versus just talent being 
talent and and you know you just throw the ball out there and on on you know nine out of ten nights the Clippers are going to have more talent than their opponent so that is something to, to keep an eye on again we're we're so far away from that um, you know all indications are mid June being the earliest the NBA uh, is going to return and even that could be optimistic you know we, we could easily be looking at late June early July once we get to that early July you know kind of part of the schedule. Who knows what, what's going to, you know, that might be where the league ends up canceling things if it gets that far. So we're, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here, but it, it is fun to, to talk about and think about. The second thing that I think is really interesting with this team uh, from a storyline perspective is Kawhi Leonard. And Kawhi had quietly, uh, which of course, you know, it's Kawhi, so everything he does is, is in <laughs> silence, um, but he was quietly rising up the MVP race and most of the the attention for Kawhi the first couple of months of the season was all the load management stuff. And, you know, you had the controversy of, you know, the first two ESPN Wednesday games, he sits out and the league has to find the Clippers and Doc's making these comments that kind of go against, you know, he's saying Kawhi's fine, but then they're, they're listing him as injured. And then the, the league discloses what his injury is, which the Clippers were not happy with. And, um, you know, kind of almost re- reveals it. And then now it's become an injury management situation. So when Kawhi is out, it's not load management, it's injury management. And, and the truth is he is injured, obviously. And that's why the league okayed it. And that's why they ended up revealing the injury. But, um, you know, Kawhi is a very private person. And he, um, you know, if he wanted the injury out there, he, he would, the injury would have been out there. So, um, that was kind of an awkward situation. And that first couple of months was kind of colored by that, where any conversation with the Clippers involved load management and, and, and vice versa, really. Like w- once you started talking about load management, Kawhi and the Clippers would, you know, naturally be, be brought up in some capacity. So that was kind of the dominant storyline. And, and I think it, it really, um, kind of distracted people from the, the quality of the season Kawhi was having. Now I think, the past couple of months that it, that has shifted, really the turn of the new year, where people are starting to realize like Kawhi has been having a great year, and you know he, he's having a career year, and this is a guy who's already had a couple of second place finishes in MVP. So you know if he's having a career best year, you really have to put him in that race. Um, so some numbers here: he's posting career highs in points, rebounds, assists free throw percentage and usage uh, usage percentage. Uh, he ranks fourth in the league in RPM, real plus minus, uh, which is ESPN's kind of all-in-one metric. And he is second in player impact plus minus PIPM. Uh, and those are two of the more respected kind of all-in-one metrics. Those might be you know, the, the best two out there right now um, or, or in that conversation at least. So I, I think with Kawhi, you know, this was on paper – probably his best statistical season um, or, or as good of a season as he's ever had. You know, maybe that 2016-17 season was really, really good. But again, he's posting career highs in, in multiple key categories. Uh, and I think the other part of the Kawhi kind of narrative that w- would favor him, if not for the the load management and injury management stuff, is that aside from Luka Doncic, who is 21 years old in his second season and just kind of going on the natural curve of a 21-year-old star. Of, of course, Luca's maybe the best 21-year-old star we've ever seen. So like 
he is ahead of, of most guys at, at 21, but you know, we do see historically guys get better those first few years. And, and you can really tell by year four or five, like what a player is going to be in, in most cases, like Luca, you know, most really good players get better from year one to year two, year two to year three. But aside from Luca, which I think is more of just an age thing and, and a natural progression, Kawhi is really the only top level MVP candidate who, in my opinion, I'd say it's obviously Giannis, LeBron, James Harden, and maybe Anthony Davis, like those four guys. He's really the only one to add a significant wrinkle into his game, a significant you know, improvement in the form of his passing. And Kawhi, that was kind of his one weakness as an offensive player. He was not, you know, forget being a great passer. He wasn't even that good of a passer and really developed in the 2019 postseason. Doc has talked about it multiple times where he saw the progression in that 2019 postseason. Uh, his assist numbers reflected that. And then this season, he's taken that to a different level where Kawhi has become a a pretty good passer, a guy you can really run the offense through. Um, I think that's why some of the criticism of the Clippers not having a point guard has been overblown because Kawhi has been able to do a lot of that in the pick and roll, posting up on the block, posting up in the elbow area. Um, he he can find shooters, he can find bigs, um, he can find cutters. Like he really has a impressive passing arsenal that he did not have as recently as a couple of years ago. So for me. You factor in career highs across the board, his two-way play, which is as good as anybody in the league outside of maybe Giannis, and um, you know just his improvement as a passer. That, to me, is a recipe for probably number two in MVP. Now, LeBron has played nine more games, and some of his numbers are better. Some of Kawhi's numbers are better. Uh, so I, I think most people would give LeBron the, the number two spot. If I was voting tomorrow, I would probably also give LeBron the number two spot, but I think if not for his missed games because of this injury, Kawhi would be right there with LeBron, if not ahead of him, and really potentially having a chance to overtake Giannis with Giannis recently spraining his ankle and being out for an undisclosed amount of time. So that was a, a long way of saying, like, I really think people have not appreciated how great of a season Kawhi has had. You know, there's a lot of detractors saying, oh, he just had a great 2019 postseason and he's just kind of coast for the postseason, and that's not the case. You know, he, he again, he is dealing with an injury that that has restricted him. He, he's missed 13 games, but uh, aside from that, he's posting. And, and the, the other thing that like, is lost in all this is he's not playing. It's not like he's playing more minutes. He's actually playing fewer minutes th than a lot of his key seasons. You know, he's only playing 31 minutes a game. So it's again, it's not like he, he just got an uptick in minutes, and, and that's why a lot of guys will post career numbers because they play more. Um, like a guy like Montrez Harrell, if you actually look at his his last three seasons, his per 36 are all basically identical. Uh, he's just been playing more minutes, so his counting stats go up. But with Kawhi, he's actually playing fewer minutes. So if you look at his per 36, his number is even more impressive. Um, so I, I think Kawhi's had a great year. To me, he's at worst the third best player in the league, but but probably you know second or, or even first. And I, I think he's just had a great year. Yeah, and I think like what's so interesting is that narratives is such a thing that overtakes every award, no matter what the award is. It could be six man, it could be coach of the year, comeback player of the year. Comeback player of the year specifically is literally almost all about narratives, but also MVP. And, you know, if the Clippers had won that last game against the Lakers, so what, then the Clippers win streak would have been seven in a row or something like that? Um, uh, it would have, yeah. 
Well, yeah. it would be eight. It'd be eight. It'd be eight. Eight, eight, eight in a row. It, with, with the Warriors win. Right. Most. So it it almost is like one of those things where they, if if the Clippers had won that game, because what we had seen when the Lakers won the game, they're like everyone was saying, "Oh wait, we should let's hold on about Giannis here. Let's focus on LeBron. Maybe LeBron deserves to be MVP." And he certainly, as you're saying, as everyone has said, that he deserves to be 100 percent within the conversation. But if the Clippers had won that game, and the Clippers would have been on that win streak heading into a pretty soft spot in the schedule. Then everyone would have been talking about actually, you know, who should be talking about for MVP would have been Kawhi. And anyway, we would have been pointing to the things that you are saying right now. The fact that he's having a career year in a situation where he, you know, he's playing fewer minutes and he's playing on a team that has been disjointed at times. But yet they've still been successful because of his particular season, his particular set of skills to quote Liam Neeson. So I, I it is all interesting that, you know. There's a million things that have come out of this NBA suspension of play due to coronavirus. But like literally we were at a point where this Lakers Clippers matchup, you know, everyone was so excited for the potential of those two teams meeting the playoffs and we're still going to get them in the regular season. And LeBron, the Lakers win that last game. LeBron gets the MVP buzz and Kawhi gets pushed to the side. And that's why we're now having to discuss this to say, like, you know, we need to have perspective on this a little bit and think about Kawhi more in this because, you know, you, you can argue who's had a better season, of course, but just having the argument itself proves that Kawhi deserves to be, you know, I think top four. There's a firm top four in my mind, um, which is obviously Harden, Giannis, LeBron and Kawhi, even though people had been kind of like downgrading Harden of late. And I think maybe he could have even been pushed out of that top four if we just kept going down the path that we were going down. But of course we don't know, but I just, it all links back to me is that like every Lakers Clippers game shifted the narrative around both of the teams to such a degree that if the Clippers had won that game, Kawhi Leonard would have been the guy that would have been mentioned as the challenger to Giannis and not LeBron. But of course it's just something that we don't know. We're just left in this point where we have no clue anymore. Yeah, no, I I think to, and, and that's really where, again, like the disappointment comes from is that you you had Kawhi playing and we didn't even really mention the defensive end where I, I think that maybe was his biggest improvement in season, it, just in terms of ramp, you know, he, he'd already been, he's always been a good defender, you know, and that was, you know, kind of his calling card entering the league and, um, there had been some criticism of his defense last season in the regular season and that he was coasting a little bit, although that I think had more to do with him taking on a bigger offensive role and and really being the go-to guy um, in Toronto more so than he even was in San Antonio, where he kind of shared that a bit with Tony Parker and, and LaMarcus Aldridge and just kind of the Spurs ecosystem. In Toronto is really where he stepped up as the clear kind of number one and it's not close. Uh, offensive option and, and obviously now he's continued that with the Clippers but defensively he had ramped it up the last month month and a half um, you know the, after the Clippers traded Mo Harkless Kawhi stepped up as the guy to defend really the best offensive player on the other team one through four so you, you saw him on point guards like you know John Morant um, you, you saw him defending LeBron and, and AD in that Lakers matchup like he was all over the place defensively and doing a really impressive job um, you know, kind of back to that defensive player of the year caliber defense that he's capable of. Um, so that to me is the other thing where like you know, LeBron has gotten a lot of credit defensively for 
um, his improved effort and, and, you know, he's 35 and, um, you know, it is impressive what he's been able to do, but I think th- there's a difference between trying more defensively and, and, be, and, you know, being a plus after being a, a, you know, neutral or negative defender for, for, you know, the last few years and being Kawhi who, you know, when he ramps it up, he's right there with, with Giannis and, and Marcus Smart and whoever else you want to pick defensively, like Kawhi is that caliber of guy. And, you know, I, I think with his offensive improvement, continuing as a shooter and as a passer, like, you know, there aren't many guys you can say are, are top five on in offense and defense uh, in the league. And I, I don't think there are five, you know, if you're drafting guys purely for offense, I think Kawhi would go in the top five. And if you're drafting guys for defense, I, I think Kawhi would go in the top five as well. So um, I, I just think that two-way ability that he has is really, again, only matched by by Giannis. And I think offensively, I, I trust Kawhi more in a playoff setting than Giannis. So um, I just think the, the totality of his season and, and really the level he was playing at um, has been a little underappreciated. But let, let's sit on these last two uh, kind of quickly. These are more, I'm going to write more about this in depth. So you should check it out on The Athletic. But uh, the last two storylines I, I wanted to touch on quickly were the 20, state of 2020 free agency, which this one I don't want to delve too much into because we don't know the cap hit yet. So, you know, there's projections um, as the athletics, John Hollinger and, and Danny LaRue recently wrote um, the, the the kind of projection right now if the regular season is lost, which again, we don't know if that's going to happen or not, is about an $8 million cap hit per team. Um, well, I mean, it, it is split up among all the teams. But so right now, I think the cap is projected to be around like 115, 116 next season. So that would drop it to something like 107, 108. Um, and, and that has some pretty significant stakes in free agency for guys like Montrez Harrell, Marcus Morris, uh, Jamichael Green, if he uh, declines his player option, even Reggie Jackson with the with the way he was playing, you know, was maybe setting himself up to get more money than we initially expected. Uh, so I think that's a storyline to keep an eye on, and, and just you know, whenever the league resumes, if it does resume, seeing how many games are remaining in the regular season, seeing what the playoff format is, and then how that affects the cap, uh, because that is that will directly affect guys because. The guys who are clear-cut stars and, and all-stars and whatever, like those guys, they're going to get the max or close to the max whenever you know free agency happens. But the the next level down, you know, a guy like Montrezl Harrell who is a super sub or like a fringe starter, um, you know, he might have been in line for like eighteen to twenty million. Now that might dip to fourteen to sixteen million, right? Like like if you're dropping the cap by, you know, eight to 10 million or whatever, depending on how many games are missed, he becomes less valuable inherently because you don't want to pay a premium for a guy who isn't a star. Same thing with Marcus Morris. The Clippers could have paid him up to 18 million and he was probably going to get somewhere in that 15 to 18 million range. Now he might be someone who's in like 12 to 15 million now uh, with a cap decrease. So that I think is an important storyline to watch. It could help or hurt the Clippers. Uh, it could help them by you know lowering the prices of those guys and, and making it easier to retain them, but it could also hurt them 
by the Clippers having less cap space overall and just kind of maybe having to make some tough choices of, hey, you know, with it, you know, $8 million higher, we were more willing to keep both guys. But now that it's lower, even if both guys take a little bit of a discount, we might have to pick between one of the two and lower our, our potential luxury tax bill. Um, so that is something to keep an eye on moving forward with whenever we get some resolution on the season, uh, free agency will be a big part of that. And, you know, that will affect the Clippers. And, and the truth is, you know, the, the Clippers tax bill is only going to continue to go up. You know, the, their salary cap um, is only going to continue to go up. So they have key decisions to make on guys like Montrez Harrell and, and Marcus Morris. And if they can find cheaper alternatives, which is easier said than done. And the last thing, which is a mailbag question that I've been asked, uh, was if this is the greatest Clipper season ever. And I think it was on pace to be. I, I think on paper, this is clearly the the best team the Clippers have ever had. It's the best soup. Well, uh, I want to say it's the best superstar duo they've ever had. Although I think peak Chris and Blake w- was on par with Kawhi and PG. Um, I don't know if Chris or Blake were ever at the level that Kawhi is at right now. But I would say the other player was probably at the same level that Paul George is at right now, if not higher. Um, so I'm thinking in that 2014 or 2015 range, uh, you know, I think Chris was probably at a similar level to Kawhi, maybe a little bit lower, but Blake was probably at a higher level than PG. Um, so it, it's probably a toss up. Um, you know, Paul George is another guy who hasn't really been fully appreciated this season, but he has not been the same Paul George as his last season. I think the biggest slippage has been defensively. Um, so that aside, I, I think this was on pace to becoming the, be- the best Clipper season ever. Uh, but we don't, you know, if they don't have a postseason, you can't say that. And if, if they don't go further in the postseason, you also can't really say that. So I am going to reserve my judgment on, calling this the best Clipper season ever until I see the the kind of what happens with the season. Uh, if the season is canceled, then no. Um, if they lose in the first or second round, then no. Like this team would have to make the conference finals for it to be the best Clipper season ever. Um, it was the best Clipper off season ever for sure. Like th- th- that's without question. But uh, I don't think you can fairly say that until you see how the season plays out. And one thing that was unfortunate was I think this team had a chance. The, the franchise record is 57 wins. I think this team had a chance to break that um, and, and win maybe 58, 59, 60 games. And they no longer will have that opportunity, most likely, unless they, you know, this situation gets a lot better very soon. Um, so that's unfortunate. They're, they won't break it this season. But I do think they obviously have a chance to make the conference finals, finals, and, and you know, be the best Clipper team. But that's a while, uh, you know, ways away. Uh, but I just want to touch on these these four storylines. Um, if you guys have any uh, opinions on them, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at Yovan Buha, and uh, we we can discuss them. But um, I think that that's about it, Mike. Yeah, man. It was um, obviously it's like we're going to keep monitoring it, and the one thing I'll keep monitoring is how serious the NBA is about this biodome quarantine bubble basketball tournament that has been floated out there um i'll be interested to see you know it's something that has been discussed and you begin to see more and more um stories about it but i'll be interested to see when we if hard details begin to get floated out and if that is a reality that the nba is pursuing the 
sending all players into one location, quarantining them, and then having them play basketball for no fans will be something that I'm going to be watching as we continue to stay in quarantine ourselves. So, Mike, where can people find you on social media and listen to your pod? Well, you can find so many great podcasts on the Athletic Podcast Network. And if you want to, if you want to get in and let's say you aren't a subscriber to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash Clip City and you can get 40% off, 40% off an annual subscription to The Athletic. And this is really a great time, particularly if you're a football fan, because there is a lot of NFL draft content that you could be consuming, as well as Clippers content, everything Yovan writes, which is always fantastic, and Thank even you. more special stuff that is coming out from The Athletic. So theathletic.com slash Clip City, 40% off. You, you just plugged it for me. <laughs> uh, as always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Yovan Buha. That's at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. Uh, again, if you have any other storylines I missed or, or think are interesting, uh, reach out and I'd be happy to discuss it with you. Uh, we will be back next week to talk to talk about the 10 best moments of the Clippers season and a special other five moments that I will tease now and you'll hear next week.